Have you ever wondered what it's like to experience one of the oldest rainforests as a blind person? Or how it feels to get around one of the seven wonders of the world with mobility issues? You're listening to Access That, a podcast that explores what it's really like to travel as a person with a disability, like me. I'm Carney Liddell. And I'm Oliver Hunter. Each episode, we send a travel lover on an adventure around Queensland, and then we get them in the studio to have a chat. We ask them what it's like for them to navigate the world, hearing the highs, the lows, and the lowdown from people who have been there. Access that. This podcast is presented by Queensland. Before we get going, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording and the country we love to travel. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And I would especially like to pay my respects to the First Nations people living with a disability. G'day everyone, we're back again. We are back for another episode. The guest today is Imogen Cars. Uh, Imogen is a, a travel writer and she has multiple disabilities and diagnosis. And she's also from Queensland, so she knows the wonderful state of Queensland very well. She's from far north Queensland. She's a, she's a proper Queenslander. Mission Beach. Yeah, originally, and now lives in Brisbane. So she, she's got a bit on her plate and we love that. And she was a very interesting chat. And she's a proper journey. She actually did the degree, mate. Yeah, I dropped out of mine. Um, so good on her. Uh, I think what, what I found interesting and most fascinating about her, Carney, was that her relationship with her disability has developed and become better and her relationship with her body and how how it all works for her has has really grown in the last few years. And for someone that we're both born with our disabilities, so that's sort of foreign to us, but to hear how that's developed was, was fascinating to me. It's foreign, but also the older I get, the more I learn about how to manage mine because I didn't even know that you could manage or do things that do help with recovery and rest and pain. So so I learn a lot from her myself. So enjoy the chat with Imogen. Welcome Imogen. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Can you tell everyone a bit about yourself for people who don't know who you are? Yes, of course. So I am a freelance copywriter and journalist. Um, I'm also studying to be an Ayurvedic practitioner. Um, which for those who don't know, Ayurveda is an um, ancient Indian healthcare system. Uh, and I also live with a range of different disabilities that I've actually lived with for over half of my life. Imogen, I'm going to have to look you up because I'm actually really intrigued by, I can't say the word, I blame my tantrum for everything. I say Worcestershire, how it's spelt. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so you actually live in Brisbane down the road from me. I do, apparently. We just figured that out. So you love Queensland already, right? I do. I love I love Queensland. There's nowhere like the Sunshine State. Yes. So when you say multiple disabilities, I, I always joke, and I probably shouldn't, but I always joke that who doesn't have multiple disabilities when you've got a disability? Yes. <laughs> you never absolutely. just get one. It comes with a two-for-one, three-for-one deal. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So do you yeah. mind telling us about your diagnosis? Yeah, absolutely. So um, to start with, I have severe carpal tunnel, which I actually started getting when I was about 12 years old. But since then, it's developed into really severe numbness. Like I basically, all of the nerve endings in my fingers on both hands are dead. 
Um, so they're just constant numb, constantly numb. And I also have rheumatoid arthritis, which impacts my kind of ability to use my hands a lot of the time. I have a lot of stiffness and um, swelling and soreness. I can't make a fist most of the time. I also have low vision in my right eye. So I lost that due to like a pretty complex health condition when I was also 12. And yeah, I just, I also have a number of other random things that aren't, you know, they're kind of wacky and weird. So I won't go into them because they're confusing, but I yeah live with like exhaustion and energy um, issues and things like that. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> we love wacky and weird here. And yeah. also I think I'm 44 yeah. and I've been living with my disability since birth. And I don't think we've ever discussed properly within our own communities, the disability community, about exhaustion and fatigue. When no. I'm exhausted and fatigued, I think it's because I'm a single working mum. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. only the last five to ten years that I've realised that I have to rest because I have a muscle-wasting disease. Absolutely. And yeah. no one talks about it enough. We, and we don't talk about pain enough either because mm-hmm. the hardest part, I believe, for me with my disability is pain management. Yeah, I think it's like a lot to do with like the society that we live in and the the hustle culture and, you know, having to go, go, go. Like we just kind of, it's like a quirk being like exhausted and it's like everyone has this kind of like badge, I'm exhausted. And it's like so because of that, I think that people who live with, you know, things like we do, we kind of just like, like it doesn't affect us as much as it does, but it really does. How old are you? I'm 28, 95 as well. There you go. Oh, yeah, yeah 95 me. Club. Well, <laughs> I, I, the tech. I didn't know what was happening. I, <laughs> I, I think that's a, it's a great point and I think with cerebral palsy as well, so that's my my disability, is that, yeah, exhaustion and just fatigue, it's kind of uh, hits you pretty hard with CP. And I think for me it is that tough thing and like being a comedian, you always want to be doing gigs and running around and bouncing around Melbourne, the city where, I'm, where I live and doing all the gigs and doing all the stuff. And then, yeah, I think for me it's taken a while now, but in the last sort of probably three or four years, I've realised that it's okay when when you hit a wall. You gotta just have a have a spell, like have a have a rest. Absolutely, rest is like the best medicine. Sometimes it's what we need. In your twenties, teenage years, all these new products that are on the market that weren't available for us back in the day, we had to use manual wheelchairs. There were no such thing as it was manual or a big, huge, one hundred and eighty kilo electric wheelchair. There was no in between. Wow. And now there's all these power assist devices on the market, which if I had used um, and not been so proud and thought that you know using a power assist device or an electric wheelchair made me look weaker and mm-hmm. all that sort of thing that I wouldn't have the shoulder issues and the pain issues I have now which put me in hospital last week for 6 days because I tried to move boxes and pack boxes and do things that I shouldn't be doing oh man that, that pride it's a, it's a killer and that, I don't know about you Imogen, but I've battled it too where it's just that I think the word independence gets thrown around a bit and I think that what the definition of independence means can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people and I think just if you have if you need support that doesn't mean you're not independent I think I've I've learned that in the last few years as well yeah 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 that's something I've learned I think even in the last year is like I guess coming to terms with my disabilities and then 
being like, okay, I think to me independence does actually mean like feeling empowered enough to be like to my partner or someone else like, hey, I need help right now. Like I can't do this today. Like that to me is now independence, which is really funny. But yeah. Oh, I love that. I'm so glad there's a new generation that aren't going to end up like me. And what about supports aside from your lovely partner? I hope he's lovely. He I don't is. know he's him. Very lovely. <laughs> Great. Do you have NDIS supports or other supports in your life? I do. Yeah, I'm very lucky to be on the NDIS. Um, I, yeah, it's been a couple of years now. I'm just coming up to the first kind of like change of plan um, this month, actually. But it was it was quite a shock to be accepted onto it because I've because I've had such strange like like complex kind of mystery symptoms all my life that have never really been diagnosed until a few years ago um I was just so shocked to be accepted to the NDIS like instantly I was like is this a joke like what is happening but that's been really helpful just for things like um getting my house cleaned and like the garden taken care of therapy I've been very lucky to be able to use therapy on it it's been great but apart from that I don't because my symptoms are quite fluctuating, I actually don't really have any other supports that I use in my daily life. Um, I am about to get like the kettles that you can like, I actually don't know how they work yet. I haven't seen one, but things like that where it's like holding heavy things, that's where mm. my kind of weaknesses lie. So I'm looking forward to diving into what my funding gets me very soon with that. And Imogen, can I just say, I love that you say that you're lucky, but I want all of us people with disabilities to realise that we need and deserve the supports that we have. Yeah, you're truly right. And it's not lucky. And NDIS is not about diagnosis. It's about what your disability diagnosis impedes you to do in your daily life and and what supports you need to get out that front door. But I understand what you're saying because we all feel like we should Mm -hmm. be grateful, but you deserve it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for calling me out on that because I like, I really try and remember that, but I still find myself being like yeah okay no that's great that's That's all of us to have these conversations that's all but also you got your diagnosis I think because we are a travel podcast and we love traveling and you're Mm. a journo that writes about traveling as well but you got your diagnosis mid trip um one one of your diagnosis there's a few there yeah Yeah, (laughs) which one pick one pick one (laughs) pick one Basically what happened was, um, yeah, been a mystery case all my life since I was 12 um, with all of these symptoms coming up. And basically I got to like my uh, like late teens and I was like, screw it. I'm just going to ignore them all because no one knows what's wrong with me. I'm sick of it. I'm just going to be a normal person and go and live my life. And over the years through uni and like, yeah, my early 20s, I started kind of realizing, ooh, like, weird things are happening in my hands and stuff like that. I'm getting more tired. And then my partner and I, after I graduated uni, we went on a massive um, two-year backpacking trip around Europe and Northern Africa. And, yeah, it was on on a Dolmash, a bus in Turkey, where I kind of realised, like, oh, my gosh, like, my hands are actually, like, not working properly. Like, it was that moment that I kind of – I finally woke up to the the big elephant in the room that I'd been ignoring for years and years. So it was kind of that was like the beginning of the unraveling of me being like, okay, like, yeah, I can't ignore this anymore. So when you said you uh, ignored it and you sort of just put it to the side when you were younger and teens, 20s, was that because you'd been to, to doctors and medical professionals and they, they didn't know or they were like, 
because I, I excuse me if this is a bit insensitive. But when you said rheumatoid arth- arthritis and carpal tunnel, I associate it like that. They're very old people things. Yeah. Because like, I know I've had you know, aunties, uncles, and grandparents that have mm-hmm. had carpal tunnel and had carpal tunnel surgery and rheum- and arthritis as well. And all our physios. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they're not. That didn't happen when they were twenty eight. So yeah. Yeah. Right. What was sort of the the driving force behind? that ignorance other than the pride as we've already touched on. Yeah, so exactly. It was that kind of like, you're too young to have this. Why do you have this? So many things are happening. We don't know what's happening. So just keep taking these pills kind of thing. So I just got hot potatoed completely from when I was 12 and lost my vision and developed that carpal tunnel until I was, yeah, maybe 16. And that's when... Um, they just kind of wanted to stabilize me and keep me on these really extreme um, pills for the pressure in my brain that it's a long it's long and complex but that basically the pressure of my brain is what had caused the, the loss of vision so anyway they were just kind of like stay on these pills we don't know what's happening yeah so I just kind of was like that doesn't feel right to me so I'm just going to like slowly exit the room (laughs) kind of thing. (laughs) There are loads of people like us around the world. I was diagnosed at birth with spinal muscular atrophy before there was MRIs and blood tests and CAT scans to diagnose that particular condition and I've been trying to get re-diagnosed since I was 28. Mm-hmm. I'm now 44, as I've said a thousand times, and mm-hmm. I am partially diagnosed as congenital titanopathy from a ge- genetic mutation in I don't know, Norway or something, some DNA lab. But I understand there's so many of us out there that don't have diagnoses, and it's so frustrating because everyone says, "Which doctor do you go see for your disability?" I've got to like spell my disability to a doctor okay. or a neurologist. So it is. There's so many of us out there and I think it's really important, Imogen, that you're here today because you're letting people feel heard and the frustrations of not being able to find anyone that can help you. Yeah, absolutely. And and what I found that was the most frustrating thing I think was that like whenever we talk about our experiences, it has to be backed up by some sort of diagnosis. Yeah. Otherwise, it's, it's not valid. It's like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what you're feeling or what, you know, happens to your body or your day-to-day experience. It's like if you don't have that ticked off by a doctor and it's not in this box, then it, it's not real, which is just... I'm an electric weird. wheelchair. So, I mean, obviously, <laughs> mine is very more obvious than I'm guessing yeah. yours is to people. Totally. Yep. So can you, do you use any kind of wheelchair device or do you walk differently? No, um, my kind of like functionality is mainly my hands. So I just struggle with making a fist and like sometimes grasping stuff and um, like, you know, opening doors or like using keys or. Hands are really important. Yeah. Oh, they are. I didn't realize until recently, like, whoa, these things are important. Yeah. yeah. You can't, you can't fist pump through COVID. So you would have had to, uh, exactly. exactly. (laughs) Try and explain that to people. Yeah. We have to um, high five everyone in a wheelchair. Everyone wants to high five us for being out inspirational. So that's Uh, probably a good excuse. I can't high five maybe. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, my symptoms fluctuate like, on a day-to-day basis and month-to-month and week-to-week. So depending on, like, you know, if I've been really stressed or what I've – if I've eaten lots of packaged foods or whatever, like the really obscure things. So um, sometimes my – I can function – 
quite well for me and other times I really struggle. So it is quite complex trying to like explain it to people around me who don't necessarily kind of understand that side of disability that it can go up and down. Is that why you freelance? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Some days I just don't want to do it. So I don't, I just say, I'm not well today. I'm going to get it into you tomorrow. And you know what? Most of the time that's fine, which is really cool. <laughs> so you don't have the guilt switch that I have when I try and rest and think, I should be doing this. I should be invoicing. I should be writing. I should be getting a job. I should be, should be, should be. Yeah. Oh, I do. I definitely do. But the more every day I try and hush that a little bit more. I'm feeling excited, but surprisingly pretty nervous. Um, I guess I've never really centered my disability outside of riding in the comfort of my own home. So I'm starting to realize I might have to face some uncomfortable like spotlight moments. Yeah, I think this experience is going to be really cool. I'm honestly pinching myself that my travel riding dreams are coming to life. Like what is life? (laughs) So where did you go? Tell us where you went. Uh, we went out to Longreach in Outback Queensland and um, we also went to Winton for the day, which was really cool because I'd been out there quite a bit as a kid. Um, my grandma lived in Winton, so, yeah, it was somewhere I'd always wanted to show my partner. So it was really nice to, yeah, get out there. What's, for someone that's not from Queensland or has never been to Winton, um, can you tell me what, what's out there? Is it obviously country Outback Queensland, but what, what makes it a special place? Cows, lots of cows. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's got a really lovely spirit to it, to be honest. It feels like like if I wanted to tell like a foreign friend like who wanted to see the real Australia where to go, I'd say go to Winton or go to Longreach. It's really, it's just got such a special like soul to it and you can kind of feel that in the interactions you have with the locals. It's very just grounded and yeah, it's cool. They've also got lots of like they found so many dinosaur bones out there, which makes it really cool. It's like, yeah, it's such it's like such an ancient land. So, oh, my six year old son would love that. So, how did you get out there? Did you drive? Um, we flew, which was really <laughs> funny. I'd always driven to the outback, like from like you know far north Queensland when I was a kid, and it would take like twelve hours. So, getting on a little Qantas plane and flying like two hours from Brizzy to the outback it was like I felt like I had a bit of culture shock landing there because I was like what the hell I just came from the city and now I'm like in the outback like never even thought about the fact that you could fly there and we even did like a stopover in um Blackall like a like a bus stopover like the plane just casually like lands in another town and then takes off again it's like what it was funny (laughs) I'm guessing full of high-vis miners is it or yeah miners and just average everyday people which was uh, yeah it was really interesting so you're from far north Queensland you're not from Rockhampton are you no I'm from Mission Beach near Cairns Oh, Mission Beach is one of my favourite places in the world. Yeah, it's special. It's David Attenborough's favourite place as well. <laughs> oh, don't tell anyone. Let's, not, let's just cut that out. Don't tell anyone about Mission Beach. That's a massive call from, especially <laughs> David Attenborough's literally seen every corner of the world. I know. And is it because of the cassowaries? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're up there, right, just roaming around Yeah, wild. like just in our tiny little, like, I don't know how big, but like couple hundred K, like, kilometre radius um, that's where they live. Yeah, they're, they're very interesting creatures. They're very cool. 
Well, I was up in Cairns recently and I was in like just a, I think a, but in museum of some sort, and it was like a life-size uh, Catherine like statue. It was huge. Like I, as someone sitting height in a chair, like I was like, <laughs> this thing is massive. And I wasn't this. Like a, I was like, but if I saw one in the wild, yeah, it like the yeah. If, if it was running at me, I'd be in a bit of strife because it was <laughs> massive. Okay, if it's running at you, that's a bad thing. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, and obviously I'd never see one in the wild, so I was. Just going, wow, this thing is a massive animal. And they got that like almost like a hard hat. The cask, the- yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're amazing. <laughs> yeah. They go well on a building site. That'd be uh, – <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they. it's really lovely though like when you see one in the wild, like you just – it it feels so like they have such a calm and like ancient like – just beautiful energy they're just lovely creatures so it's funny to me like whenever i hear people like being like they're the most dangerous birds on the planet it's like technically they are like look at those claws but yeah they're more than creatures out at Longreach. no just mostly birds i think oh i think we saw a couple of emus which are birds <laughs> like on the drive you, birds, you don't mean bin chickens right you mean actual nice no, actual like birds, birds in the trees yep Went on like a river cruise. It was like a bird watching kind of river cruise. It was lovely. But, yeah, not really any other animals. It's... Tell us about the river cruise. Yeah, it was nice. It was like they just picked us up from the hotel and went onto this lovely little boat with like it was mostly older people on the cruise, which was really cool. It was like, you know, everyone's having such a good time and got to have cheese and crackers and a bit of wine. And, yeah, we just cruised up the river for, like, a couple of hours until the sunset. And, we, yeah, it was a beautiful sunset. And um, then headed back and had some dinner and some damper and um, watched, like, some live music. It was pretty lovely. Uh, everyone's been really supportive and caring so far, asking if I need anything um, at any given time. To be honest, it actually feels a bit overwhelming. Uh, because I've never experienced this before, but it is so nice to know that the conversation on disability is happening, like, even out here in the outback. So we've just checked in. This place is lovely, so roomy and spacious. The bed is so comfy, which is one of the most important things for me when I travel. Uh, This morning we had a really nice breakfast with a good hamper, and, yeah, we're about to jump in the car and drive through the outback. We're wandering around the age of dinosaurs in Winton and it's really cool. I remember going here when I was younger um, and everything is like really accessible so far um, for my disability. The sun is so hot though, so it's taking a bit out of me, but yeah, you can't help that out here. Tell me about your highlights of the trip. Yeah, the highlights. Definitely that river cruise that I just mentioned that was lovely and just so peaceful. I also really had a great time on the the cart, the horse and cart ride. We, it was really funny. It was like um, just everyone like clambered up onto like the back of the car and there was like, I don't know, 10 horses or something and there was like an American guy with like full-on like cowboy get up on and we all had like speaker, like, you know, when you like put them in your ears and you can like hear, it's like a radio kind of. I don't know, I'm losing my I'm losing my words. But yeah, he was kind of just like mumbling like Western talk the whole time. We were like going around like the outback. It was really, really funny. It felt like we were in like a Western movie or something. I really liked Winton, going back to Winton. 
Um, the dinosaur museum experience was fantastic. Like, just like I remember when I was a kid, but um, I actually kind of paid attention this time and was like, <laughs> kind of like concept of like how amazing the fact that they have all of this, like all of these artifacts is this time. Um, that was really, really cool. And I also really, really liked the accommodation we stayed at, um, Saltbush. It was fantastic. It was like beautiful, rustic kind of, yeah, outbacky themed, but like really modern. It was really, really cute and really comfy. Don't you wish all tourists when they come to Australia do the outback and go, yeah. like I always say, you don't really know Australia until you go outback. Yeah, right out there. Yeah. Or no. to Rocky or to, you know, Mission Beach. Totally. So Imogen, what's um – you talked about a lot of your different diagnoses and disabilities. What sort of the accessibility needs and how, how is, does that influence your travel? So to be honest, I'm still trying to work that all out because I've travelled a lot in my life and I guess, you know, done it without knowing I had a disability. I just kind of could, you know, some days I'd just be like, I don't want to do that. I'm too tired to do this or whatever. So a lot of it just kind of has to do with like really being conscious of my ebbs and flows of energy and um, the function of my hands. Um, So, you know, for example, if like I wake up and I'm just like super puffy and sore and tired and my hands are stiff and I can't make a fist, like that's not the day that I – maybe go skiing or something or you like you know climb a rock wall or something like it's things like that where it's like today's the day where I don't push my body that hard um so yeah it pretty it's quite dependent on the trip and how I'm feeling uh but you know it's always just like little things like keys to like my hotel room yeah it's it like opening like jars and things like that um but if I have my partner there it's it's yeah it smooths it over for me um yeah but I'm still trying to work out how to kind of talk about my accessibility needs because they are so different they look different to the quintessential access needs that most able-bodied people talk about or kind of recognise. So I'm still a little bit blurry with that because it changes a lot of the time. But, yeah. But it's good for you to talk about this because everyone thinks it's about ramps and lifts and wheelchair (laughs) toilets. And we're quite, I don't want to say it, but we are a a minority group in a minority group, us wheelchair users. Yeah, absolutely. And my arms are weaker than my legs, for example, and so are my hands. And all those stuff that you are talking about I find harder than having to, say, get up a couple of steps because – my yeah, legs right. are stronger than my arms. And then that's quite – no one understands that and you've got to actually tell people that yeah. because they expect me not to be able to walk or, you know, about to bum up steps, but I can, but I can't open a jar or a door. Absolutely. So that's really important that you've discussed that. Thank you. No, thank you. Yeah. No, Was there anything out back you couldn't do because of your – disabilities to be honest the trickiest thing for me was the jam-packed schedule which I totally (laughs) get because it was like a work trip but like yeah when I've traveled personally I've like I've always been the kind of like cafe hopper like people watcher just like taking it slow like I'm always just kind of like looking around I'm not like going to the attractions and like going on hikes and you know like I definitely do those things but I don't pack them in um so to be honest it was that that got me the most especially being sick um but I know that I would have found it tricky even if I 
wasn't sick. Um, it was just kind of like the, yeah, there was like no time to kind of rest and recalibrate, which is something that I really, yeah, I've realized I really need. So that's probably my biggest. So a rest um, day every every second day, you think? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a rest day. It just needs to be like maybe I do something in the morning and then like I just chill out that afternoon kind of thing or like, yeah, just kind of like not packing something into every hour. It's day two and, yeah, we're up bright and early for a glimpse into our back life. I could have used a sleep in for sure. The manager of the horse and car ride just came over and gave us his perspective on accessibility, which was really interesting. Um, they're certainly doing their best out here. Feeling tired, like even though it feels like a holiday at times, it's still definitely work and it's, yeah, so go, go, go. So you went on a horse and cart ride, but you didn't go on a horse? No, just on a horse and cart, Yeah. <laughs> Horse and cart, so it was literal. Some people go on jet boat rides and it's, you know, 80 or 150 horsepower, but you actually went on a cart that was literal, what, 10 horsepower. You said there was that's, – that's a good – that was a joke from a real poor comedian. Uh, <laughs> it's a good one. It was a long build-up for not much uh, no, payoff. So, yeah. I got it eventually. Sorry, I was in my own little but I'm going to say that yeah. I did not yeah. expect those horses to run that fast. Is there preparation you can do um, before a trip that you know – could come up as a result of your disabilities and diagnosis? Yeah, um, I think really it comes down to looking after myself for a good few weeks before I head off. I really recognise that when I am stressed and tired and I've eaten food that, you know, inflames me, that's when I have my physical symptoms at my worst. So it really does come down to, um, yeah, just kind of like preparing in that way. But also, like, it's strange, but my biggest preparation is having no preparation because I don't really plan my rest days. I'm more just kind of like don't like to have anything locked in because I like to take it day by day. And that, you know, sometimes that can mean that you maybe didn't get to book in for this cool thing that you wanted to do or whatever. But most of the time I find that that's the best way that I flow with traveling. It's just kind of waking up and being like, oh, yeah, I feel like I can go do this today or it's like nah I'm just gonna kind of rest and relax today so yeah they're my real two biggest um prep kind of things and like when it's domestic travel as well I like to be able to make sure I can cook my own food um in the in the accommodation that I'm staying in that's a big one for me when you were younger Imogen you mentioned we've already talked about how you weren't aware I guess of your diagnosis or you were sort of ignoring them when you were younger and doing the travel you did, you mentioned around Europe, was there times when you would book stuff in and then push through it and then you'd, you'd sort of pay for the consequences of being fatigued later? Is that Does that make sense? Totally, but yeah. it was less about booking stuff in. Like it was never about the attractions because like, I was very broke. I was just kind of doing the, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. drink as much wine as I possibly can kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely had times where I'd, push myself like I'd be like I don't know but yeah back then I didn't I didn't know why I couldn't do 
things like the rest of my friends could. Like I didn't know why I had to feel so tired all the time or like I felt lazy or like Mm. I didn't want to like go on this big walk because I'm just lazy. Like (laughs) I didn't understand that. So I definitely had times where I pushed myself to like, you know, drink on a night where I didn't really want to just because everyone else was or like maybe climb up this big mountain because all of my travel friends were and I yeah I absolutely paid for it after like I just remember like sometimes sitting back and just being like what is happening to me like is this normal but then I just kind of suppressed those again because I didn't want to feel like that when I was yeah young and with a backpack on. I've never heard another person with a disability say the word lazy and then it really made me think that's how you do feel because you want to be inspirational because everyone thinks us to be inspirational mm. and that's really, yeah, that's that's actually hit me really hard because you do feel like you should be doing more all the time and you shouldn't. I think for me that was me and my travels too. Like I said about being in San Francisco, when you have the days off, you're like, but I'm in a whole different city in a different country. I, you're like wasting time lying around. you got to like, you got to do it. And, but I think it's like owning that, owning how you feel and just knowing yeah. your capacity and knowing your boundaries like we touched on. It's just I think that was been once I realised that. But my second and third trips overseas, I definitely owned that a bit more and was able to, yeah. to have a better time and and not, awesome. n- not leave a trip going, almost be thankful that I'm coming home because I just need a rest. But, you know, that being said, all travels like that sometimes. You, sometimes you need a holiday from your holiday when you get back. <laughs> but, uh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's how um, after I kind of realised my hands weren't working anymore and I couldn't hide from it. Um, that was the start of our two-year trip. And after that, my partner and I had kind of designed our trip a little bit um, differently. We would just get to a country and um, book, a, book a place, rent a house for a month and we just lived there and we wouldn't do much we just kind of like exist and just like kind of slowly immerse into the local kind of culture and then the next month we'd book another house and then maybe we travel for a few weeks and it was really cool it was a really lovely way to kind of like travel long term but also really nourish myself and like what I needed and the rest and yeah it was great could you do a solo trip so you, yeah. you have the capacity to do that. How how does that go? Because you've mentioned your partner who sounds like a, yeah. a lovely support, but if you were to be somewhere solo, how, does that change how you travel? Yeah, definitely. I went to um, – I've done a bit of solo travel in my life before I met him, but I actually um, went to India for a month by myself at the beginning of this year. And um, that was – it was great, but I definitely was kind of hit with the realisation that, like, I do – definitely function a little bit easier when he's around um if my hands aren't working some weeks um so there was yeah things like I got stuck in a toilet one time I just couldn't open the door and yeah like the big water containers um I struggle a lot with that like the lifting and kind of like trying to yeah manhandle that so just like little things just added up and it definitely wasn't um it was definitely doable and I definitely rocked it but yeah. <laughs> there were things that I was like oh yep that's right I forgot about that <laughs> yeah. now Imogen thanks so much for coming on the show it's been an awesome chat uh we ask all our guests this question it's our final question if there was something about travel that you could make more accessible what would that be um I think just 
more education on disability and the fact that it looks so different for everyone, which is already happening. I was really pleasantly surprised um, with kind of the conversation on disability that we had out there with the tour operators. But I think that like most people, or many, many people in the tourism industry who's, who are only kind of just beginning to think about being inclusive and talking about disability, I think it's quite, it's boxed in the conversation and like about who has a disability and what that looks like. So I think that just continued conversation and just more education on kind of like the, the differences in what a different disability can kind of mean for different people who come to visit. Yeah. We could talk to you all day, Imogen, because I wish I knew my body as well as you do at 28 because I probably would be in a better position now. So I hope that lots of people listen to this that are younger. So therefore um, they they live a a better and also a life where you don't feel lazy when you take your rest Mm -hmm. and you are looking after yourself and also that you understand that you're not lazy and I think that's something that I've always been a trigger for me is not being seen as lazy and doing too much. 100%. No, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Imogen. Thank you for listening to Access That, presented by Queensland. We'll be back again soon with more from the people who have been there and accessed that. In the meantime, head over to queensland.com for more on accessible travel.